Eric Mukendi, welcome to the African Tech Roundup, bro. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Somewhat, uh, uh, somewhat fresh on a new role. Tell us about it. So I'm the managing editor of uh, a fact-checking initiative called PesaCheck. So what we do is we look into public statements about how taxpayer money is being spent in um, in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. That's where we are we are at the moment. So it's a Code for Africa initiative. And uh, yes, I'm the the guy who goes through the stories that, before they're published and makes sure that they they all make sense. Um, you're on the mic a day before, uh, you know, Kenya goes to the polls to pick their brand new president. And, uh, I picked the day intentionally because, uh, by the time everyone's hearing this, we'll know who won and there'll probably be a dozen or so think pieces about why they won and how they won. And everyone's going to be some kind of an expert about the role of fake news in ensuring so-and-so made it to to the White House or whatever house <laughs> Kenyan presidents tend to inhabit when they're in power. It's the house, it's on, the the house hill. on the hill. So, so I mean, yeah. I, I wanted us to be, you know, I didn't want us to be weighed down. I didn't want the conversation to be weighed down by, by all that sort of pop analysis that's bound to come out of this uh, situation. And I feel like you're perfectly placed, not just because of your brand new role, uh, but also just how deeply embedded you are in, in in uh, Kenyan political culture and the tech culture, uh, but also because um, of an article I, I know you wrote, in, and I know so these things are close to your to your, to your heart at the moment. Uh, you wrote an article, uh, a recent article for was it in the Star, the Kenyan Star, um, that talked about how tech yeah. might be used to nip fake news in the bud. Now that got me thinking that Eric might be onto some things that I don't know about, one, how serious this issue is, uh, you know, relative to what we saw happen in America leading up to Trump, you know, Trump, Trump's ascension. One, how serious it is, and two, just how ready uh, or not Kenya might be to, to see this thing uh, affect their election. Yeah, so the article is actually a follow-up to an event that we'd had on, uh, it's called Hacks Hackers, so what we were doing was we were talking about technology and how, first of all, how it's contributed to the, sp the spread of fake news. And then secondly, how we can use tech to to solve the problem, because we were looking at it from um, like from a distribution perspective. A lot of the fake news that gets around now isn't through uh, things like newspapers and um like uh, traditional media per se, it's it's online because you find that you get a link to a story and then you uh, set, you're like uh, this is something like like completely preposterous. It doesn't make any sense, but it does confirm something you've always suspected about uh, a particular topic. So what I'll do is I will share it in a group or like say on or share it on Twitter or Facebook or post it on WhatsApp, and it's going to go to other like-minded individuals are going to spread it further. So you find that there's a lot of uh, all these really interesting, like really weird stories that target like a particular aspect of the political process, be it whether be it the candidates or how the poll is going to be run or how like people are supposed to conduct themselves after the polls. And it just... It, it, it just got us thinking that 
some of the things that we're seeing in terms of, of big news tend to be very, like, there's, there's like, telltale signs that you can actually see before you actually share these, some of these stories. So the, where tech comes in, in the, in the stopping this from happening is there's been a, a number of initiatives. Like there's been, I think it was Facebook who posted uh, a number of guidelines because I think they're starting to acknowledge the, the role that they've played in the, in the spread of this news. So they're like, let's go put like a sticky banner on the, on the Facebook homepage. Every time you log in, you're going to see like how to tell that a story is fake. And then there's also things like Google reverse image search, where if a story comes with an image, you can actually search and find whether that image is legit or not. And then other things like um, basically how to report some of these fake stories. And then somehow someone at the end of the distribution medium now on the other side will actually see that this has been flagged as fake news and it's going to be taken down. So a couple of things come out of what you're saying. Uh, one of them that stands out is how you describe the actual content itself as being weird and, quote, interesting, you said. Um, presumably, there's a lot of creative effort going into the stuff. And recently in the Mail and Guardian, uh, the, the South African Mail and Guardian, they interviewed a, a Zimbabwean uh, journalist who's actually making... A, a fairly comfortable living uh, peddling fake news on various sites that he's created. He, of course, remained anonymous and that kind of thing. Um, he maintains that he uses the the pretty lucrative amounts of money he makes from the sites he, 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 he maintains to actually fund his real journalism, his real activism on... <laughs> On sort of uh, on, on platforms that uh, we've all come to trust, and uses the money he he makes sort of peddling dumb stories about celebrities and and fake this and fake that in order to do this. In fact, his wife he claimed in the article feels that he should just give up with the real news altogether because one it puts him in such danger because he takes on government and other things, and two it just doesn't make the family any money. And so I suppose the question I'm asking you is um, within the context of the Kenyan problem with this issue. Who, who do you think is doing it and why? So there were actually two videos that came up, uh, I think it was about a week and a half ago. There was one that was purporting to be from CNN and another one that was purporting to be from the BBC. And you could see this is someone who actually got like, uh, they had a look at the site and how they present the content. And then they, they literally copied the visuals and the graphics and even the, the stroller, the ticker at the bottom of the screen. And they were trying to make it look like uh, these were stories covering, like, and then uh, there were stories about uh, how well the president was doing versus his main opponent. And then you could tell, I mean, if you, if you watched a lot of uh, CNN and BBC, you could tell the content was a bit off. But uh, it even, if you look at the, the, the branding, and uh, the amount of effort that went into producing these stories, like if, if you were just some casual observer, you could actually just, it could trick you. And you'd be like, this is the stuff that the news media is saying about Kenya. And then it's uh, like videos like those are really hard to pin down because for one, if you look at the way they're distributed, like actually received that video several times in, in several different WhatsApp groups. And then, like, no one is just, no one is saying where they got it from. They're just saying it's just forwarded as received. 
which is something that keeps coming up over and over again when it comes to these fake news stories. It's just, I got it and then it appealed to my sensibilities in one way or another and then I just felt the urge to share it to other people. So no one really admits to actually producing this content. And then there was another video that was particularly disturbing that was looking at how the future of Kenya would look like if, if like Raila Odinga was elected as president. And then it was bleak. Oh, I saw that. I actually saw that one. Yeah. It made its way here. It was really bad. And then you could tell, but uh, I think the, 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 more, the common theme among these videos is you can see it's favoring one particular candidate. So one is likely to draw conclusions that the people producing it are the ones likely to be more on the, on the president's side. And I think that's a trap that we're, we're likely to fall into once we start taking these things apart. Because it'd be like, if you look at the person most likely to benefit, I think there's a, there's a rule whose name I can't really remember. If you want to understand something, you just need to look at who it benefits the most. Except we have the we have precedent set um, in the U.S. where using that sort of reasoning can also be quite tricky, given how there are at any given time many 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 sort of uh, parties who stand to benefit from various you know different scenarios. I mean, us trying to figure out who's on whose side. If you think of WikiLeaks and and how. On one hand, they claim to have the, the planet's best interests at heart, and I think the vast majority of, of sort of pro-neutrality activists might wholeheartedly back WikiLeaks uh, straight into a fire uh, if need be. <laughs> but, but then Hillary Clinton claiming that they're just this irresponsible mess, um, uh, you know, Trump. It's just it's getting really complicated to sort of draw a straight line from a piece of a piece of content like you described yeah. and and who might stand to benefit from it. And then perhaps that's even the danger in trying to make conclusions about who might be behind it. Because one of the things that uh, has kept uh, uh, popping up is that you find there's this uh, firm, Cambridge Analytica, that keeps getting linked with uh, the, the Kenyan election. Because if you look at the sort of tactics they deployed, because they've been linked with uh, the, the Brexit vote and then how Trump came into came to win the election by mm-hmm. basically just deploying some strategic ads and like targeting voters and doing profiles and identifying people based on their potential voting patterns. Because it got to a point where there was a maze shortage a couple of I think it was sometime last month or it was sometime in uh, June. And if you actually went to, to Google and then you searched for maze, you'd get an ad that's promoting the that's saying that the president cares for us so much he's actually gone to buy maize and then uh like he's brought it to Kenya so that you can get your your ugali which is uh, like our version of pap so basically the if if you follow the the chain of 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 how these things are happening you can see that there's a very deliberate effort to actually latch on to like he Searching keywords every time you do like a Google search or every time you try to post some like a bit of content on Facebook or like you try to start a conversation on Twitter and then you see like certain people replying and then you can tell that uh, there's a there's a deliberate effort to try to direct the conversation in a certain way. So it's hard. Like uh, I think the the biggest difference between the problem the, the politics in the in the states and over here is that over there it's a lot more 
clear cut. Like you can tell, for example, where a candidate's interests lie. But over here, what we get is the the government and the opposition tend to have very similar interests in terms of like who their funders are, where their strategic interests lie. Right. So you can't really pin it down in terms of who's getting, who's likely to benefit more from whoever's getting elected, unless now they appeal to like an individual's sensibility in terms yeah. of like, this is where, this is my person, this is my, this is how I'm going to vote because I feel that he represents my interests. But end of the day, I think what we keep getting is the same, like the person at the top might be, might change, but the people who are like the behind the scenes, financing everything, yeah. all the tenders, getting all the money, they're, they're all the same. In, in the case of America, you know, Republican Democrats certainly don't share funders. When you think of even the South African situation where, you know, the, the main opposition in the Democratic Alliance versus, say, the, the ruling party, the ANC, definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not going to be an overlap in terms of donor funding or special interests that back one or the other. Perhaps perhaps some, but not much, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and in Kenya, that's not the case. Yeah, because I think the thing that keeps happening here is that you find that there's shadowy cartels that keep getting mentioned every once in a while. Like, one candidate will accuse the other of being backed by cartels. Every time there's talk of someone getting funding from some dubious source or from, like, benefiting from corruption, they keep mentioning mm. cartels. They don't mention people by name because it's all interlinked. It's all really shadowy. Because if you start like trying to understand what sort of money uh, and uh, what sort of funding funding is actually going into the political process, because much as we want to hope that these people are doing this because out of the kindness of their hearts and because they love us so much, we know that if they're doing it because they're going to get like their own strategic interests served. So by linking all of these things and then by using a lot of the, the tools that we have online to try to drive the conversations in certain ways, they're trying to benefit from uh, the, the sort of reach that social media and uh, all these other technologies are giving them in order to leverage their positions and then try to appeal to not really the, the people who are already in their camps, but there's a lot of undecided people as well, undecided voters online who are like they, they genuinely have no idea who they're going to vote for. So by using all these tools, by basically just checking your Facebook to see what you've liked and what sort of content you've shared, and then trying to figure out how old you are, what your gender is, what your job is, how much money you make, they're able to basically just stratify the whole thing, and then they tailor an ad to speak to you. And so, I mean, is it at the point where it's too close to call? I mean, uh, on the other side of the coin, right there in, in East Africa, you've got Rwanda with like... I don't even know if you call that an election with the sort of win that um, the incumbent had. Um, it's also been interesting to observe the role of uh, of the internet and online media in either promoting the incumbent's rule or like outright sort of uh, questioning his integrity. And um, and interesting to see how detractors hardly made a dent, it seems. And to see sort of Kenya going through this, I mean, do you think it says something about the maturity of, of Kenya's democracy relative to, say, Rwanda? I think what it shows is there's a, a lot more in this election to fight for because 
like Rwanda has been like on that steady trajectory where like literally everything you hear from there is basically all they do is win. But uh, there's also been like some. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just heard the I just had I just heard the the actual rap song in my head when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> and DJ Khaled in the background. Yeah, yeah. Khaled just dropping a quick a quick beat. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So okay. basically, the value proposition for Kagame is different from say Uhuru and and Raila because for Kagame he's like I literally took you I I literally took this country from like almost like the ashes and then I built it into one of Africa's like leading investment destinations and all that other stuff. So for him, it's like, in order for me to perpetuate this, you need to vote for me. And then because of that, like people recognize that versus someone else who's like coming in as an outsider, trying to break into the, the stranglehold that, uh, that Kagame has on the country. It's hard mm. for someone to come in like that. But if you look at Kenya, one of the biggest issues in this election cycle has been corruption because there's been like, there's a, a, like a perceived inability by the president to actually fight corruption. And one of the things that he actually did was he literally went on, on national TV and literally asked, like, so what do you want me to do? And we're like, you can't really say something like that. And you're the president. You're the person who's supposed to be like making, like telling us what's being done in order to fight these people. So one of the things that uh, keeps happening is that you find the each side tries to paint the other side as being more corrupt. So corruption is a really big issue. And then another issue is there's been like lots of problems in service delivery, especially by doctors and nurses. Like there's an ongoing nurses strike, which I, I don't think was really tackled during this election cycle. But um, the fact that there's all these public servants who are saying we are not making enough money for our positions, and as a result, we're going to go on strike. There's a lot of issues that haven't really gone, haven't really been addressed. But uh, I think one of the things that has been happening is you find that there's a lot of ads that keep popping up of the president mm-hmm. talking about his accomplishments and the accomplishments of his government. But I don't like, I don't see them because I have ad block on YouTube. So a lot of these things yeah. just pass me by. But I, like, I, I was actually discussing this with a couple of friends of mine. They were telling me that every time they go online, there's this one particular video that keeps playing of the president, uh, basically, oh, like literally the, the theme song is Uhuru Niwetu, which is mm-hmm. Uhuru is ours. Right. And like they're trying to propagate this sense of ownership, and then you see the right. same ads like also feature on uh, on mainstream media because they actually did something very tactical. The government, what they did was they decided to cut the num- the amount of advertising they were doing in the mainstream media, and right. then on the other hand, they were coming in with all these political ads, and they were like, "If you're going to run this, because media houses have been struggling to make revenue, so they were like, if you run these ads." Yeah, we're just going to to give you money. Like it's wow. basically they are cutting off one revenue stream and then presenting another one. And for the media house that's struggling to to make bank, that looks like a really good proposition. If you compare say Kenya with uh, with I think there was and uh, there was an election in, in Uganda last year. And yeah. if you compare yeah. how like the incumbent has been received in Kenya versus in Uganda or in Rwanda, where like both Kagame and Museveni won by really big margins, the, there's some jitters 
on the on the side of of the president. So it's a bit uh, it's a bit fuzzy. Uh, so yeah. like the last uh, the, the last uh, opinion polls came out about a week. Yeah, it was beginning of last week because the deadline is seven week seven days to the election. And how, and how reliable uh, t- typically are, are polls in Kenya? They're, they're quite reliable, I would say, because they try to be as representative as possible. Although, like, the two main opinion pollsters actually came out with two different results, but the same conclusion. The, the conclusion was that there was going to be, most likely there's going to be a runoff between the between Uhuru and Raila. And one of the, there was one, input track that actually put Rela slightly ahead. And there was another, which is um, Ipsos, that put the president slightly ahead. But both of them didn't make the 50% plus one vote threshold, according to both of the the opinion polls. So I think they have some credibility. I mean, there's been accusations of bias because there's literally been a lot of like fake news surrounding like who exactly owns or who has shares in some of these polling companies. And even there was a presidential debate and then the president failed to show up. And then immediately after that, there was like even more fake news where there was a fake letter of incorporation of the company that was tasked with running the debate. And they were saying that uh, one of the the people who was in charge, like one of the directors of the company, it's actually the communications guy in the main opposition party. As in, there's a lot of like uh, different angles that they're taking in terms of actually putting this stuff online. Because as 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 later as I think it was yesterday, there was an, a fake memo that was going around saying that if your ballot isn't stamped, it'll still be considered valid. And then there was another memo that came out after that saying that uh, the, whatever that memo was saying was a lie. And then to make it worse, the website of the Electoral Commission was offline. So you couldn't go to verify which of these documents was actually legit. Oh, no. You can see the the, the angle of, of approach keeps changing. So instead of now directly yeah. attacking the candidates, what they're trying to do is they're, ta- they're latching onto a narrative that's already there because... The thing with the stamped ballots was actually linked to the fact that uh, the Electoral Commission actually has printed extra ballots in in case, like, you get uh, someone marks a ballot wrongly and then it it, uh, has to be destroyed. So you get get another paper before you cast it. So what they were saying was that uh, what this new angle made it look like was that they were probably going to be, like, it was going to be the likelihood of ballot stuffing where you have all these ballots that aren't, aren't stamped, but they're marked, so it looks like this, these are uh, legit votes. So the commission came out afterwards and they said that only the ballots that have been marked, that have been stamped, are going to be considered valid. So sure. it's a lot of, like, uh, yeah. it's, it's a very confusing cycle on the whole because there's always new angles of approach for every aspect of the election, like from the candidates to the process, to the people who are conducting it, the electoral commission. And then, because it came out yesterday and said that uh, literally one in four polling stations is in an area that doesn't have network coverage. And then this is stuff they knew since January. So it was 11,000 out of about 40-odd thousand polling stations in places that have like zero 3G coverage. 
So the people who will actually collect the, the results will actually have to go somewhere. Like once you have a completed tally of all the six positions, you go to a place with natural coverage so that you can transmit the results to now the electoral commission headquarters. So it's it's just been like there's been so much information, so much noise around all these different aspects of the election. And then literally at every stage, there's like a fake story or there's a fake video or there's a fake bit of information. So, yeah, like now the work of countering all this becomes it just becomes impossible. The other thing that I, I that we all should be humble to surely is that while, you know, the, you know, Kenya is far ahead much of the rest of, say, East Africa in terms of like mobile adoption and Internet adoption a big chunk of the population isn't directly affected by some of these things, surely? Or, or am I wrong to say that? No, you're right. Because, like, a lot of the, the fake news that, that, that uh, most people have encountered... Sounds quite sophisticated. And not, not that I'm saying, uh, say, a rural Kenyan with no smartphone is not sophisticated. I just mean it does appear to be targeted at uh, a fairly well-informed... Uh, perhaps well-connected individual, which I imagine isn't representative of the average Kenyan. I think the fact that uh, a lot of people have smartphones, a lot of people have mobile phones, it lends itself to now the spread of this information because you'd have to literally have a working knowledge of, say, what the URL of the BBC is or what... uh, like the normal yeah. CNN landing page looks like or other things like those in order to know that, for example, the link that you're getting that says something about some politician is actually true. One of the, the, the things that's been shared around in terms of like literal fake news has been a picture of a, of a politician. Like this was during the, polit- the party primaries. He was holding a, a, a newspaper that had a fake headline that said that he had defected to now the the ruling party because he was an opposition he was running for uh he was running in the, the opposition and then the headline actually said that he's defected to the ruling party and it has a picture of him and it has like the masthead and all those other things and then it was just scattered like everywhere though people actually printed these things and then scattered them around wow if anything there's some people who are being introduced to quote unquote the bbc for the first time as fake news <laughs> yeah yeah, I get what you mean, yeah. They probably know of the BBC, they've heard it on radio and that kind of thing, but they don't habitually consume BBC news, perhaps on television, reinforced by, you know, the the, the, the clipping shared by someone they know and perhaps trust. Uh, they're receiving a quote-unquote BBC yeah. <laughs> clip that's totally manufactured. That's that's actually yeah. quite a scary thought. Also, uh, another thing is that in the, in the run-up to this election, there were two different reports that were published looking at fake news and how it spread, then it actually showed that people have a lot of trust in the radio. And, uh, like, people also have some trust in the stuff that they read online, especially if it's on, like, legitimate news sites where it's, like, the main newspapers and, yeah, like, the main newspapers, actually. Because I think one of the things that was trusted the least was community leaders, for some reason. There was also... Word on the street, like just gossip, basically. From that study, they showed that uh, something like nine out of ten Kenyans actually had been exposed to fake news to do with the election. And then the other report was actually looking at how 
people actually share the uh, the fake news stories that they get. So they did an analysis of like really partisan groups, like groups that were like skewed in uh, like either pro government or pro opposition. And then they showed that the more fake news stories were were shared on pro opposition sites. And it was actually a really interesting conclusion because you can see that these are people who are more likely to believe something because it's not really coming from an official source. Like it doesn't have uh, official named or something like that. So the first reaction to getting any news that would be supportive of their cause would be to share it instead of now questioning it as like, I think most uh, pro-government groups are doing. And then the, the fact that a lot of these groups, a lot of this sharing is done on dark social on, Telegram, on, on WhatsApp, on things that you can't really track, it means that there's a lot of the circulation that's going on that you can't really know unless you ask somebody like face to face, like, uh, or if you happen to be in one of those groups and then you get a link like that. So there's a lot of conversations that are happening around this election, including like people being urged to just go out and vote and all these other things. So in this really big conveyor belt of information, it's really easy to slip in like a couple of big stories and then there's just going to be carried on and on and on. Because in the end, it's not really a conversation per se because you can't really ask the person sending you this stuff if they actually verified if it's true. They just know they got it from someone who got it from someone who got it from someone who definitely knows something. And listen, I mean, many people, myself included, um, assumed that the big story, you know, in terms of the role of of media, you know, influencing this election would, we, we thought, uh, at least I thought, the big story would be uh, the government sort of restricting access to the internet, you know, cutting off social media, things that they might still very well do tomorrow by the time... <laughs> This plays out, we will know for sure whether the government decided to try and keep its citizens safe, quote-unquote, uh, by by restricting access to social media and the, and the like. Um, but at this stage, I, I'd imagine that even those with the power to do that are realizing that that's probably not where the make-or-break is going to be. Yeah, because I think the, the fact that the Communications Authority has come out several times to say the Internet will not be shut down, there's still a bit of doubt because I think during the voting process, like people will still be able to get online tomorrow during election day. But it's what happens in the aftermath because they keep saying that we'll keep the internet on unless things just go to the dogs, which could very well happen. I'm, I'm sure that the election, the, the internet will be on tomorrow during election day, but uh, in the aftermath of all the votes have been cast. Now we need to start tallying and we need to figure out who's won which seat. I think that's where we're going to see some element of, of like interception or at the like worst case scenario, if there is a shutdown, it's going to be it's going to end really badly, I think. Because the thing is the shutdowns tend to lend themselves to like information vacuums. Like if you have a situation where you don't really know what's happening and you're trying to cause Literally, now, if I want to find out what's happening anywhere, I just get on my phone and get online, try to see if there's any, try to see what people are talking about on social media, try to, like, discuss some of these things if it's in WhatsApp groups. So the moment my access to that is shut down, 
my first thought is something sinister is happening. And then you link that to the, the fact that there's all this uh, talk of polling stations not really having access to the internet because what happened in uh, 2013 was the whole system, the whole voter identification system using biometrics actually failed. Like it wasn't, like it literally just worked for a couple of hours at the beginning of election day and then it just completely collapsed. So yes, there might be all this technology and yes, there might be all this stuff that uh, is put in place to safeguard the transmission of results and all the other things related to the election. But the fact that the possibility still exists is a bit, uh, it, it just causes a bit of unease. My my final question to you really is around um, the headlines we're seeing regarding Facebook, especially um, coming out going, we're doing everything we can to ensure that um, Kenya gets a, a free and fair election. Funny that uh, you didn't do it in America. Never mind. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but I mean, you, you were seeing Google, and, and it's to me the the self interest as far as Facebook and Google is is evident. Um, they are aspiring tech giants who aren't content to be, in the case of Facebook, a social media uh, uh, company. In the case of Google, a search company. Uh, they're increasingly being fingered as. Um, undercover media businesses, uh, you know, who have somewhat monopolistic uh, advantages over pretty much everyone else. And so I can see why it's good for them to come out in this regard. I have had conversations with purists who say, listen, maybe we all need to just man and woman up to the to the truth that the internet is inherently a double-edged sword. The de- democratization potential of the internet, you know, stands to benefit benefit humanity in in, in amazing ways, but equally uh, in in perhaps undesirable, nefarious ways. And we don't need a Facebook. We don't need a Google trying to 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 teach us how to police what is and isn't news. Well, what do you say to, to hardliners who, who, who make that assertion? A lot of the discussion, a lot of the dialogue, especially after the 2013 election, tended to be very, like, there was a lot of hate speech on Facebook being posted by, by Kenyans. And, like, to the point where people were saying, instead of now going to the streets and, and fighting and causing violence, we were doing it online. So for them to come out and say that uh, they, they're not really complicit in the spread of this information, I think it's a bit misleading because they're trying to not absolve themselves of that responsibility because they'll be like... Look, on one, on, to- on one hand, yeah, and I hear what you're saying. I mean, I think, I think you're right in that they, they, they can't claim to be, to be that this isn't their problem. But I think there's some people who believe that, um, I mean, where do you draw the line? We might agree that this, that, that sort of behavior is egregious and, and should not be permitted or is socially unacceptable. But, I mean, on some level, there are lines potentially crossed in, in sort of uh, legislating moral behavior. Or do you not see that as a line we've, we've crossed already or as a line that's uh, worth considering given what's at stake? Well, okay, I think at some level we have to consider the fact that we've actually crossed that line. Because we we live we practically live online. Like we all our stuff is is on the internet, and uh, all these social networks. Like 
basically our information is their currency, so they can do whatever they want with it. And um, I think at some level, the fact that um, they're coming out to say that these are the things that we're, we're putting in place, it, it's, it's a noble initiative. I mean, it shows that at some level they understand that some of the blame for the way things have worked out is on them. And I think it, it's a really good starting point for the discussion going forward about, uh, especially when it comes to net neutrality, like, are we willing to now concede, like, like uh, give up some of our freedoms to some of these social networks? Because they're going to be like looking at us in terms of we are the product that they're selling and our privacy is what's, uh, is what's at stake. Yeah. And are we happy for them to decide what is acceptable within the scope of expressing our humanity on their platform? Yeah, because I know for a fact that if the result tomorrow goes against uh, some people's wishes, they will go online and they will complain. And that's a constitutionally protected right. Like they have every right to go online and, and complain as much as they want about how the things didn't work out in their favor, and if they have evidence that things were manipulated against them, then they can go to the courts. So, ultimately, I think the, like, I'll go back to my, my, my first point, which is these platforms are inherently neutral, and the fact that people are able to say whatever they want is part of the, the big appeal. Mm. So, I would say, on the whole, that uh, it's good that they're recognizing the, the role in the spread of some of these fake uh, fake stories. And then the fact that they are also identifying, like they're, they're giving people ways to identify fake stories and all these other things. It's a good step, yeah. yeah. I suppose the, the, the one thing that I, I often remind myself or remind other people who, who look to tech and for like grand solutions to the problems that ironically tech <laughs> creates when we adopt it. Um, yeah. For me, yeah. I think ultimately, if we're honest, it's people that are the problem. I mean, in the UK, for example, there's well, there's a trend towards splashing people with acid. You know what I mean? And and now I believe Parliament in the UK is trying to decide whether or not to to sort of outlaw the buying of acid for for certain purposes or to have it you know at register. I, <laughs> The thing is, if you know, you can sort of make it hard to access acid for your drain, but people will figure out other things, and um, uh, it, it almost feels like a whack-a-mole situation where uh, ultimately these might be—I mean, it might just be symptoms of of just where we're at as a as a society, which is a depressing way to think about it, but probably entirely pragmatic. Yeah, I think so. Like, which is why I think uh, the way social media is shut down, like the way it was shut down in the Gambia and in Uganda last year, it's really counterproductive because you're not solving the problem that is making people get online to complain. Instead, you're just shutting off the, the means that they have to actually complain about the, the issues that they're facing. So on the whole, I think technology just lends itself easily to our lives in such a way that it becomes like really interlinked and then as a result you find that we go online more and more to express ourselves and with time that's where it becomes a main outlet for our frustrations so by finding ways to just keep um to keep the people like subdued and, and, and placid and quiet 
or even just project the image of plus, you know, placidity or quietness or peace. Exactly. Yeah, you because know? you know it's it's it, like it's going to explode eventually. And yeah, so I, yeah. that's one that's one reason why I think the internet is going to stay on as far as as Kenya is concerned. We're going. They've probably yeah, figured that out because they know if they do shut it down, it's going to have... Yeah, they like probably some... actually would rather know at this point who who doesn't like them or who's unhappy or who's... It's probably... I, I feel like it's safer for all of us to kind of know who's like racist and sexist and unethical and immoral. I, 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 look, to me, I, I don't get, get... I don't garner any sense of... of, of, of um, of comfort from from knowing that the people who would otherwise be that way on on the internet are somehow barred from being themselves and and, and it, it doesn't help me pretending that the world is 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 somewhat nicer online than it is in real life because i don't know how that aids society in any way but i mean that's just uh, me i actually agree with you that you yeah. need to know where these people are and know what sort of things yeah. they're saying because by acting like they don't exist or that they're somewhere else and not on whatever platform you're on, then it's you're denying like one really, it's an aspect of humanity that you, that you're trying yeah. to deny. And I think our role as sort of journalists or quasi journalists in the space, commentators, whatever you want to call us, is is to call out what we see as immoral or unethical. Or, or just not right or unprofessional for whatever reason. Sure, I mean, that, that's a role we ought to play and perhaps to empower our citizenry to be that much more alert to um, dubious information or weaponized information, whatever you want to call it, that kind of thing. I think we, we, I think we probably should spend more time doing that than sort of trying to suppress, suppress the evil, as it were. And I say that carefully because... We do need law. We do need the rule of law. But I, but I am cognizant of how quickly um, it can turn into sort of legislating a whole bunch of um, uh, areas in our lives that um, we 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 might be better off sort of not legislating. Not least, say, freedom of religion, for example, and things like that. Yeah, because if you look at how like technology has been deployed in this election, it has been fantastic because you can literally send your ID number to a short code and it's going to give you all the details of where you're registered, which queue you're supposed to be in, and uh, what the name of your polling station is, which constituency you're in, and all those other things. So by just by applying like one little facet of technology, you're able to make life easier for a lot of people. And then ultimately, I think the bigger concern is how do we now apply all, all, all of these things going forward as in because we can't just focus on this is the election and then this is where we're going to deploy all our technology and after it's done we're like what do we do with it so i think it should be a starting point for other i mean it's been applied in other government departments but i think there's a lot of other applications that could be found for some of these things yeah yeah absolutely Wow, Eric, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Um, we're averaging once a year at this stage. <laughs> Maybe we can improve on that. Yeah, we should, but, yeah. Um, yeah, congratulations once again on your new role. Uh, keep us all honest um, and certainly uh, keep us all up to date about uh, what we ought to look out for. You obviously have eyes on, on what's trending in as far as uh, you know, tech interacting with how 
you know, misinformation is either manufactured or peddled and that kind of thing. And if we can save any of our listeners any sort of pain and and time and energy in having to grapple with these things by having you on the show or having you send us through some some issues to grapple with, by all means, send that over. Oh, definitely. Pesachek is literally just one of a bunch of different initiatives by Code for Africa. So we always have lots of things happening within the, the tech space. And um, especially, I think, with uh, with Pesachek, the niche that we've chosen is public finance. But there's other different fact-checking initiatives that are going down. And there's a number of different tools that we use. So you can just have a look at our site. That's codeforafrica.org. And you'll be able to see, because a lot of it is geared towards civic tech, basically just engaging the public and finding ways for them to, like, get informed and stay informed. Fantastic. Thank you so much, man. That's it. You're welcome.